hey, so have you seen OntarioLoud.ca recently? Or have you gone to the Ontario Loud Twitter page? You may have noticed that it is not the same stretchy version of our logo that has always existed, but rather a beautiful new version of our logo properly formatted to fit the margins of the screen. And when you look to the left, what's that? Is it images of Ontario's three political party leaders? And what's that to the right? Is that the Ontario legislature? You might be thinking, Chris, that's a great graphic. But no, that graphic was actually made by Aisha Anwar, Ontario Loud's social media coordinator. Aisha is one of Ontario Loud's volunteers whose work is supported through Patreon efforts. So if you want to see us look better, get better, and benefit from more great work like Aisha's, go to our website, check it out, click the Patreon link today. Welcome to Ontario Lab, a podcast about politics, public policy, and current affairs hosted by a recovering political staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin. And I'm Sam Andre. And today we're kicking off 2020 with our continuing coverage of the Ontario Liberal Party leadership race, which is in full swing right now with campaigns trying to lock down delegate support in advance of the Friday deadline for delegate selection. Voting will be taking place on February 8th and 9th in local election meetings for delegates to the convention, which will ultimately pick the leader. So before those dates, we want to ensure that you have some good digestible content that gives you a sense of who the candidates are as people, the policies they support. Today, I'm tremendously excited to welcome Brenda Hollingsworth to the pod. Brenda is a lawyer and businesswoman from the Ottawa area, running a law firm with her husband that has grown since it opened in 2005 to encompass four locations across eastern Ontario. Uh, and Brenda is the last candidate to join the race and is a relative newcomer to uh, liberal politics, uh, but is making a splash. Brenda, welcome to the pod. Thanks very much for having me. Really happy to have you. So I, I, in sort of preparing for this, I was going back and watching some of the old debates. And I love the way that you opened up the first debate in Guelph. Uh, so the first question you usually get is, who are you and why the heck are you in this race? And I want to ask you some version of that same question, but tweaked right. a little bit. Sure. Um, maybe more along the lines of, what do you want people to know about you? And how are you doing and feeling about the race currently? Right. Well, I think uh, most people know that I'm a lawyer, but I, I've actually been a longtime liberal supporter. I One of my first memories of politics was uh, canvassing with my parents as a very young child, like five years old, going door to door. So I'm someone who's always been surrounded by politics. I canvassed for my own MPP for a long time. So although I am new to uh, this side of the race, I have always been a supporting liberal. So that's something that I think people should know. Um, in terms of how I feel about the race, you know, when you're in it, it's kind of hard to have a lot of perspective on it, but um, it's different than anything I've ever done. It's invigorating, uh, energizing. I feel really good about the Liberal Party and its chances in 2022 based on the energy that I've seen, the organization. So I feel good about it. So, you know, obviously there are some candidates with significantly more experience in provincial politics uh, than you. So why did you, you know, decide to jump into the race? Right. Well, in this particular case, uh, experience is a double-edged sword. Uh, we got a pretty strong message as a party in uh, 2018 about uh, the need to start fresh, to listen to new voices, to listen, period. And so when I decided to join the race, obviously I didn't do it lightly given, you know, I hadn't given myself much of a runway, but I really felt that there needed to be a candidate who was different than what we saw in the other five, someone who hadn't spent her whole career in the public service or in politics. 
you know, I don't have a lot of political experience, but I've got a heck of a lot of experience. You know, there's nobody else who's had a career like I have who's on that slate. Mm -hmm. And so here we are in a race that I think uh, I might charitably describe as a labyrinthian set of rules, high standards, short deadlines. So I'm curious um, for maybe your assessment of what your own chances are in this race. And uh, if you if you think you can win it, what is what does your pathway look like? What are you hoping people see? So I am really focused on the first round, right? Um, because I have had excellent reception everywhere I've gone. Um, I have had people say many times, I wish I'd met you earlier. So I feel like to me, getting past the first round is going to really open up opportunity. I mean, that's true for everybody, but I have had feedback where I believe that I would be a lot of people's second choice. And if they hadn't made commitments before they met me, I might have been their first choice. So uh, I am focused on uh, the recruitment of delegates uh, until Friday and then making sure that we promote our delegates and myself everywhere where we are delegate rich. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, so this is typically a public policy podcast. We're right. sure dive into topics. Um so we wanted to ask you about your vision titled Better Ontario. So maybe in a nutshell for listeners, could you tell us what is a better Ontario and where do you want to take this province? Right. So I've really focused on five main areas that I think are most important and that where, uh, you know, we can focus on these five areas and make the biggest difference. Because one of the things I think is really important as a leader is that you pick your battles, you pick your goals. Uh, you know, if you're doing everything at once, you get nothing accomplished and you hear that. Uh, So the number one thing that I think is important for a better Ontario and also that I'm hearing from people on the phones and at the doors and at the meetings uh, is climate action. Um, And I expected uh, to hear that from young people. But I'm hearing it from seniors. I'm hearing it from, um, you know, middle-aged people across the province. So climate action, um, you know, it's a real opportunity. It's an obligation, but also an opportunity for Ontarians. Uh, We should be grabbing that uh, opportunity to develop uh, technology to really be leading North America in global opportunities or green opportunities. So climate action is number one. Uh, the reason I got into the race was healthcare. Um, as a lawyer, one of the things, people are surprised by this, but one of the things I spend a ton of time on is helping people navigate the healthcare system because I'm dealing mostly with injured and disabled people who can't get what they need. We've got excellent doctors and nurses, and we have terrible access to them. So how do we fix that? That's a priority for me. Education is uh, a priority because it has to be, liberals typically do very well in education. Uh, The last government should be very proud of its accomplishments in education. Um, You know, I think the crowning jewel of the last government was the all-day kindergarten. And so I don't see a lot of reason to make a lot of changes to what the liberals were doing with education. I would really just reverse the negative things we've had since the election. Um, One thing that distinguishes me, I think, from um, my fellow contestants is my focus on economic innovation. Uh, I think that um, Ontario needs to, and a liberal government needs to, focus on bringing Ontario comfortably into the new era, uh, Industry 4.0. We have uh, 
some of the best trained engineers, computer scientists in the world. Um, and we are not making the most of that. Uh, I don't know if uh, you've heard the same studies that I've heard, but Ontario has a very, very high rate of startups. And we have a lot of startups that are quite successful, and then they get sold. We have very few billion-dollar companies in Ontario, one or two maybe. But, um, you know, we need to do better to nurture our tech to uh, bring it to the next level so that we grow these companies that stay and offer employment in Ontario. And then the last thing that's important to me um, and it's important to liberals is just renewal of the party. And what can we do to make sure that the message that was sent in 2018 is heard, changes uh, that are needed to bring uh, the party into the 2020s are affected. So those are really the five things that I'm focused on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So climate change is a really particularly politically sticky issue. We've talked about it a bunch on this podcast. Um because it is so politicized uh, right now. There are, I think, a number of measures that are sort of common uh, or uh, relatively consensus, I think, in the Liberal Party, um, you know, investing in clean tech, providing subsidies for people to buy electric vehicles, installing electric vehicle charging stations, right. these kinds of things. But uh, one observation that I've made is I've sort of yet to see a plan or a um, series of proposals that uh, tries to really break through and change the conversation outside of the people who already agree that climate change is something pressing and something that we need to address. So I'm curious just for what you think you're going to bring to the premiership that will make climate change A, a number one priority and B, change our public conversation on it. Um, so it's not just sort of like we do something, Doug Ford rolls it back and then right. it goes back and forth like that. Right. Well, I mean, just the premise of your question is that there's disagreement about what should happen. And I, I think that certainly was true at the time of the election. And I think certainly the current Minister of the Environment and the Premier may be in the camp that you describe. But that's not what I'm hearing from Ontarians. I mean, when we look at what's happening in Australia, we look at what's happening in the Amazon, we think about the floods, tornadoes that we've had. Um, even people who may have been skeptical about the emphasis or the need for emphasis on climate change, I think they're coming around. And I think by 2022, we'll certainly see that. Now, in terms of what I, uh, what I bring or how I plan to win over the people who are holdouts, I, I think the emphasis on the opportunity and, um, you know, we spend a lot of time, there's a lot of finger wagging that people feel there's finger wagging about, you know, who took an airplane and, um, you know, who has a plastic water bottle. And that does make people get their backs up and feel resentful. Um, but really, uh, as important as climate action is, um, the opportunity is so huge that I think the conversation needs to be, you know, equally about you know, what can we develop? What can we market to the world? I mean, a really good example, you mentioned the electric vehicles. California, British Columbia, and Quebec all have zero emission vehicle standards where they'll have no fossil fuel vehicles on the road by 2040. That's no time from now. None of those jurisdictions make vehicles. So why aren't we making vehicles to supply to those three jurisdictions while we catch up. Um, I think if we're focused on those kinds of stories uh, as much as we are sort of change your behavior, Ontarians might see it differently. Mm -hmm. So would you support something like um, uh, along the lines of like a Green New Deal like is being talked in the United States, maybe 
maybe sort of like a more market-based incentive uh, or, you know, somewhere in between? How, if you had to put your climate change plan on kind of a, a bumper sticker, where do you think you'd put it? A uh, bumper sticker I wouldn't be able to do. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but the, in fairness, uh, it's not right. a bumper sticker issue. It, well, right. But um, so I, I was meeting with people in Peterborough last night and we were talking about this and I was asked, you know, would I bring back um, cap and trade? And I have heard from a lot of people who would like to see a return of cap and trade instead of the current climate pricing program. Um, and what I said was, um, you know, people liked cap and trade, but that's uh, that program is old now. Like, I am sure that if we got the economists and the experts together, we could have a new and improved cap and trade or a new and improved uh, made in Ontario climate pricing system. I mean, I, I, I'm a lawyer and now I'm a politician. I am not an economist, but I I think we need to engage economists to come up with the best program. So that's not going on a bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. But um, the the key and and where sometimes the Liberal Party and other parties go wrong is you know let's engage the experts and develop and figure out what's the cutting edge program to reduce carbon emissions. And we need to do what the cutting edge program is. So maybe switching gears a bit, um, I noticed that you made a commitment to fund autism services um, through the Ministry of Health as a as a health service as opposed to one uh, through disability services. Yes, um, I'm glad if, you saw that. I'm wondering if you could chat more about that and what the reception's been like to that proposal. Right, so um, that was uh, an idea that came to me in discussion with a n- number of families talking about the problems that they have getting funding for their children. And, um, you know, I deal with healthcare funding all the time in my, in my career as a lawyer. And the problems that they were describing just didn't make sense to me. Like, what do you mean? Tell me more about the waiting list and tell me more about what you're asking for. And so you're on a waiting list to get services for occupational therapy. But if somebody has a spinal cord injury, they're not on a wait list to get occupational therapy. If you have a stroke and you need speech language pathology, uh, you're not on a waiting list for it. You just get it. And so it seemed to me that there was a real disconnect for this one group of people. um, And it seemed to be based on the fact that it's being administered differently, seen differently, and going through the different ministry. So I started talking to autism experts, and they all agreed that the Ministry of Health would be better suited to fund, not through OHIP necessarily, apart from the, you know, the doctor-related services, but through the Ministry of Health. They are the ones who have the real expertise. And then you're dealing with uh, the cost as part of the overall health budget, rather than sort of a line item in the Ministry of uh, Children and Community Social Services budget, where it doesn't really fit. So uh, maybe before we leave the the policy realm, um, I agree with you that, you know, uh, there hasn't really been a lot of focus on skills in this race. Um, I think Stephen Del Duca has sort of an economic dignity piece where he's talking a little bit about the transition from our workforce into yes. more automated pieces. But uh, you've made it a, a central part of what you want to talk to. Um, and one thing that occurs to me in sort of the, the companies scaling up is... Um, Ontario exists, of course, as part of a global marketplace. We're affected by global forces. So I'm just curious if you can uh, elaborate a little bit more on, you know, what you think a provincial government can do to, you know, keep those companies that are scaling up and getting bought and and moving elsewhere uh, at home. Because, of course, the 
the factors that influence that are, are global in nature? Well, uh, some of them are local, though. So if you take, um, take let's say, cybersecurity and data analysis, those are two growing fields. Um, there are right now 1.5 million open jobs in data security and or data analysis and global security. Uh, they cannot be filled in North America because no one is providing the training that's needed for those jobs in North America. Where do they do those things? They do them in China. They do them in the Philippines. They do them in India. And these aren't all semi-skilled uh, positions. Some of them are high-level lucrative positions that people in Ontario would want. And so we are not offering the training that would service these biz- these businesses. And there's no reason why we can't. I mean, I, I think that there would probably... Con- be consensus that we don't want to give our cybersecurity work to China. I think people would agree with that. And yet we are not training uh, the people who are needed to do that. So that's an example. Um, as, as a business owner, I know how hard it is in this job market to find uh, people with the right skills for your job. If you are a uh, technology-based company and you're struggling to get the people you need, why not just sell? So that would be an example. Let's make sure that we have the building blocks here so that people are willing to stay. Yeah. I, I noticed the um, the Ford government right now is doing something. They have these sort of series of very flashy television ads about the skilled trade. So right. a little bit different. Remove the stigma, I think, is their theme. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious if you think, um, just where, where you think the problem lies. Is it sort of our cultural approach to these? Is the fact that we just don't have enough uh, spots in our schools? Is it that we're not funding the right spots? You know, what provincial action do you think is like most pressing? I think in terms of the the skilled trades, uh, it goes back to secondary school. And, the, you know, we took the shops out of a lot of schools and people are not exposed to uh, the kinds of jobs that are available as early as they should be. I think the secondary schools also have to um, present a range of options other than just university. So I think that's one thing that the province can do is make sure that all of the options are presented. Um, the truth is you can have a very good career. You can be a business owner um, as a plumber, as an electrician. There are a lot of opportunities now uh, to make a good living. I think uh, young people don't necessarily understand that, that you know you want to make uh, a good living, that those are viable options. I also think some of the training that we do offer could be modernized. Uh, people want university degrees. I know I want that for my children, so I get it. Um, but imagine how powerful it would be to have a, um, a bachelor of commerce and your electrician papers, you know, that, so offering programs like that, um, and we've moved away from that. And I think it's too bad because those, um, those kinds of institutions fill a gap. Mm -hmm. So, uh, maybe just last question. We've been asking all the candidates about this process. Um, and we talked in our last episode about, the cutoff for memberships being December 2nd, the high fundraising uh, requirements makes it a pretty tough race for something, somebody coming in right. uh, late like yourself. Yes. Um, so do you think this is how we should select a leader and what are your thoughts generally on the process? So the um, entry fee is is an issue, I think. Um, it's one thing for a lawyer to raise that kind of money because I know lawyers who have the ability to donate But if you have, for example, uh, a community activist, somebody might be very interested in having in a leadership role in the Liberal Party, Um, you know, if they don't travel in 
those kinds of circles? How do they raise the money? So I do think you eliminate uh, candidates who've chosen to do um, careers outside of politics and outside of, say, certain limited professions. So you know, that's not uh, something that I necessarily think is taking us in the right direction. All right. Well, uh, I think that's all the questions we had for today. Uh, is there anything uh, before we go that you um, want the listeners of Ontario Allowed to know? I think uh, that it's important that everybody realize that, um, you know, you bought a membership for from wh- whichever candidate at whatever time in the race. But you know, you're, you're allowed to vote for whoever you want. And that is something that I'm not sure all of the listeners know that just because you bought a membership from somebody, uh, doesn't mean you have to vote for them. So it's important to keep, keep your mind open, listen, listen to the debates, listen to podcasts like this and, um, you know, vote for the person that best aligns with your views. Oh, Brenda, thank you so much thank for joining you us for today. having me. So I hope you enjoyed this special Friday bonus edition of Ontario Loud. It's been a long week, so I'm not going to record a huge thing, but looking forward to seeing you next week. We'll be talking to Michael Cotto. See you then.